Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Life. This is Austin Linney here. I have the honor of having Mr. Jennifer Wallace in the house. How are you doing? I'm so honored and thrilled to be here with you, Austin. I'm doing really great. Thank you. How long have we known each other? Oh my gosh, 10 years almost. Because Yeah, I w- I've been in Austin almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years next month, and I would have met you in March. So the better question is, is who are those people <laughs> that we met? Who were those people? <laughs> those people are gone. Those, those are not the two people sitting here right now. <laughs> gone. 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 Well, what I like to do is let you start your story where you want to. And I like to let my guests start with their story where they want to kind of give a little background and then you go from there. Okay. Um, well, when I moved to Austin 10 years ago, I was running away from my life in Virginia beach. And, um, since then I have been through breast cancer stage three. I was a stage three, her two positive diagnosis back in 2014. And, um, gosh, where am I now? I'm a holistic lifestyle coach. I also have a podcast illuminated with Jennifer Wallace, where I share and highlight women's stories of resilience through trauma. I study trauma. Um, and you know, back when we knew each other, it was a totally different lifestyle, a lot of drinking. And when I say I was running away from my life, I mean, I truly was living out a lot of trauma resolution, trauma responses, addiction, uh, binging scarcity, is really not the same person that's sitting here today. And now I help other women step into the life that they desire. Mm -hmm. I'm also a sex trafficking survivor, which is what I was running away from when I ran, when I, when I moved to Austin. Yeah. So, so ultimately guys light stuff, really light, you know, um, kind of stuff, you know, uh, just (laughs) like, it's amazing when me and you have been through what we've been through, how we can just, like I tell my story and just kind of like glaze over and people are like, Oh, he says it so freely. Yeah. But here's the kicker. It didn't start that way. This has been a lot of work, a lot of inner turmoil. So just take us through what a lot of people can equate to. And we'll unpack this whole story. When you mentioned, which I was doing too, you mentioned the, not it's not so much not dealing with it. It's just, well, yeah, not dealing with it, but ultimately distractions. Right. Like well, sometimes you don't understand it. Do you, you don't understand, like, especially if you have childhood trauma or if you have inner child work that needs healing and you've just been living out all these responses, you you're running all the time. You find alcohol is what really what found me. And then it was like, Oh, I can be the person I envision myself to be outgoing, funny, and more confident and with a little bit of help. And I needed the alcohol to help me feel, I don't know if the word whole is right, but like to make me feel like I was myself, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing any internal work to know who I was. 
And ultimately, and this is just me speaking about myself, the scariest thing is that people find out how hurt we are. Yeah. We don't talk about it. Yeah. We just don't talk about it. Now that I talk so freely and openly, you know, about my story, it's just like, like you're saying, you say it, it's so easy. It comes off right off the cuff. And it's like, whoa, you've just said some pretty shocking things in there. And it's like, yeah, but coming out the other side and doing that deep work and looking at the darkness and the shadows, it's like healing is hard and it's Mm -hmm. ugly. And ultimately, here's the kicker. And I don't know why this just popped in my head. There's no blueprint for healing. No, because, you've got to Because do everybody it. has their own, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. when I found my big aha moment with my parents' divorce, I might have heard what I needed to hear, but I didn't actually heal for three months later. How old were you when you heard that your parents? It was, it was March 2nd, 8.15 in the, in, the after, in the morning. I was in New Braunfels, Texas, and it was two years ago. Okay. Okay. So, so I heard why they got divorced, drank a lot. So like two and a half years, drank a lot, kind of played the bitch role for a little bit with my inner self and then did a podcast on my coaching podcast like that Monday and like kind of got it all out. And then like two months later, we were staying at an Airbnb. I was really stoned, like really stoned, but I was in like a great space with it. Like it wasn't like too much, but it was very foggy, very foggy. And we were on this huge house uh, overlooking uh, Canyon Lake in the hills. And it like, you couldn't see in front of your face. And I was listening to Kings, sorry guys, Kings of Leon. I was listening to Kings of Leon and something came over me, like this wave of just like emotion. And I just started crying. And I just started saying to myself, like, it's not your fault. Like, it's not your fault. And I kept saying it over and over again until I just like for 45 minutes, just like a baby just cried it out. And the experience was that like 90 pounds of just like 20 years of like fake stories and bullshit just went away. But here's the kicker. And this is what they don't tell you. But my identity was wrapped up in so much of who I was and those stories I created that now I had a new task, which is very scary, to rebuild my identity, which is almost more scarier than. It's the scariest. It's like, who am I without the trauma? Who Mm -hmm. am I without the anxiety, the depression, the racing thoughts, the binging, the alcohol? Like, who am I? What do I like to do? Mm-hmm. What are my hobbies? Like, <laughs> Where, what are my goals? What do what I do really I do? want? You know, like I realized, I realized in, in that moment that everything I was doing was to appease my father, which he didn't even give a shit because he's just wants me happy. And then I realized that it was actually my mom. I was, you know, it's like, it's like you just start pulling like the thread and it's like, it's like, holy shit, there's this yeah. whole thing, right? And And your parents have been putting their own traumas on us, their own responses, their own patterns too. And, and also when you can separate yourself from that and recognize their own things, you can even get a much broader sense of how you've come to be who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting. And, and, uh, just cause it's me and I want to read a text I wrote cause it's such a conscious thought. 
but like this is so important that I wrote to one of my coaching clients yesterday is the problem is, is we as people are not having conversations that we want to have. We're holding things in by not firming up what we ask for. Then those stories turn into fake truths that then drive a relationship apart off of false truths. So then actually we've made problems that aren't even real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we create so much, so many narratives, so many false narratives, and then we begin to live through them. And to do that, I mean, on a physiological level, you have to, you know, your brain will then start to push out the chemicals and the hormones to let you emotionally believe that the narrative you're creating is real. Mm-hmm. And then that creates a whole other, uh, and then you're just like this output of chemicals now in your body. And your body and your mind will start to help you believe that that is true. Mm-hmm. Driving Be- a larger gap. Because because this book right here that my coach made me read, uh, What You Say When You Talk to Yourself, is my favorite book I've ever read. I think it's a foundational book. And basically what he's saying is, is that your subconscious doesn't know the difference between reality and truth. So you might as well tell it great things. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And so, you, I mean, you sit around and tell yourself like all these bad things. You will create that. And on a quantum level, you will create the world around you that you do not want by thinking the thoughts that you have. Oh, I love this. We're, we're like nine layers deep already. So, uh, <laughs> so, and see, I'm what I try to tell everybody, I'm a Swiss army knife guys. I can talk about finance or I can go off a cliff with this stuff. Because I love I'm it. ready like to go any direction. At any well, time. What I want to talk about is the cancer part, right? Because, okay. because I have a friend who's beat cancer twice at 26. They gave him a 10% chance to live. And he told the doctors basically like shove it in your, you know what, like I'm going to beat it. And, you know, he thinks off of belief and just like, a lot of other things he beat it. And that's all, it's all can be talked about. But what is the mindset in a person that gets something, you know, that diagnosis or that, like it really does shake you to your core and and kind of, I guess it would like perspective would be an understatement. Mm, Yeah, I was 37. Um, I thought I led a really healthy lifestyle. You know, I drank green drinks and I did yoga and, um, you know, I, I thought I was healthy. Um, and I ate primarily vegetarian lifestyle at that time. And the truth is that I was not healthy. I did not have a good mindset. I was in a shitty relationship. I was drinking like a lot. Uh, I was still in the service industry at that point. And when I got that diagnosis, I was in California. I was actually in wine country with my family. And when I got that diagnosis, it just, it was just like a stab in the heart. It was like, oh my God. And I was stage three. I found a nine centimeter tumor in my right breast. And I mean, when they, when you get diagnosed with breast cancer, they measure your breasts like a clock. And my tumor was from one o'clock to four o'clock. And at three o'clock, it was on my areola. I mean, you could like knock on it. It felt like my elbow. It was it very, very intense. And I immediately 
dove into, I'm, I can do this myself. I don't need, I'm not going to go through treatment. I'm not, I can do this. I know that I can do this because I'm so healthy, right? I've got all these healthy habits. And when I was uh, interviewing oncologists, it wasn't until I went to like the fifth oncologist breast specialist that he told me, you know, I, I didn't have insurance. It's October, 2014. And, uh, I, I said to him, I said, look, let me just do what I want to do. And by January, I'll get insurance. And if I'm doing good, let me just stay on that route. And if I'm doing bad, then I'll do your treatment and I'll do what you say. And he said, you know, I really appreciate that. I understand where you're coming from, but you'll be dead by January. This is not that kind of cancer. This will kill you. You're you're pretty much there. And so port the next week and I started with treatment and then I really dove into balancing what they were going to do with me through the chemo because he told me, so we're going to take you to the very end. We're taking you to the edge. You're going to have to hold on. And so I, I immediately went into Eastern medicine. I have an incredible acupuncturist here in Austin that learned of the breast meridian lines. I worked with the Medary foundation, um, which is a holistic foundation in Oregon that started, they had access to all my doctors, all my uh, pathology. And so they would send me tonics and tinctures. And I was on like, you know, in the morning I would wake up and take 28 vitamins. Then I would take 12 in between lunch. And then it'd be another 32 at lunch and 14 in between and 16 at night. And and it was very intense. I mean, I don't take really any tablets or anything now. I think it's just because of that year, just like so much. But um, I also really believe in plant medicine. And when I got diagnosed, I came home before any of this started. And I found a naturopath too, along with my acupuncturist, I came home and had a psilocybin ceremony with myself. And it was, um, really a ceremony of acceptance. I accept that you are in this body and you are not going to take me. Like I sat with it. I had deep conversation with the tumor, with the cancer. And then from that point, started with the Madari foundation, the acupuncture after the first chemo. I mean, cause you could feel it. I mean, you could feel, like I said, you're knocking on my elbow at three o'clock. <laughs> you could feel it slowly melting away, slowly melting away. And my, um, my, uh, treatment was supposed to be six chemo, uh, double mastectomy, 30 rounds of radiation, And then the Herceptin, which was the main drug I was on, because I was HER2 positive, was 18 rounds. So I would get six through chemo, but then I would finish the year out with the other 12. So when imaging time came around in March, after I'd finished the six chemo, and at this point, I mean, you can't feel anything. There's, you can't feel a tumor by the time I go into imaging. So I go in for imaging and the tech comes back in and, and the whole time we're there, she's like, are you sure it's here? And I'm like, yeah, there's a marker, you know, because they put a little metal marker in your body where the tumor is a tumor marker so that every time you go into imaging, they can find out where that tumor is. And she was like, I'm going to have to go see the doctor. So she takes my images, she goes to the doctor. Five minutes later, she comes back and she's like, there's no tumor. We can't find the tumor. It's not showing up on the images. And she's crying and I'm crying. We're hugging in this room. And so when I went in for surgery, cause then they're like, okay, well, it'll be a lumpectomy. So they took some breast tissue, they removed lymph nodes and I came back totally clear. 
I, they have found no cancer. So I finished the protocol out by doing the radiation because I was so young. There's no cancer in my family. Um, I finished the Herceptin and the radiation just totally cancer-free. In what time frame? Um, I was diagnosed October, 2014 by March. There was no tumor. And, and, and what do you equate or what does the doctors equate or you equate to this? Do they even the know? Doctors, the doctors definitely think it was the treatment. What treatment? The chemo. They okay. think it was the chemo. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a mix of everything. I think your mind has a lot to do with your healing. You know, it's like, there's that phrase, you have to see it to believe it. That's not true. You have to believe it to see it. And every day I filled my mind with thoughts of visualizations of that tumor melting away and leaving my body every day, all day. All I did was pray and meditate and visualize this tumor was being eradicated. And that's what happened. Okay. And I think if you're, if, if for anyone listening, if you are going through treatment, I do totally recommend balancing your treatment with Eastern practices because your body is about to get put through a lot. And, you know, uh, one of the things that the Madari foundation gave me was, a a tea recipe. I felt like I was having low back pain. It turns out that was my kidneys hurting to process, you know, all those toxic chemicals. So with that tea, I was able to move those chemicals out of my body. You know, you have got to keep your internal body and systems working at a very high level when they are just getting exhausted by toxins. Okay. So, okay. We're on some other, okay. I know. So I can't I, 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 no, 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 no. I have never heard this story. I totally respect the doctor and the chemo. I get that. And I'm, I equate and am all about the plant stuff. And that's a whole nother story with my girlfriend. She's never taken a pill. She believes that food and, and thought can fix everything. But what I'm, but what I want to unpack just from your understanding of what you went through and I get the medicine, I get the Eastern medicine. What does this say about the mind? Like- the mind is, the mind is everything. It's everything. I mean, you, you have the ability to heal yourself. I truly believe that. Like, could I have done this? Like after that oncologist told me you'll be dead in January, had I at that point risked it in those couple of months? I don't know. Was my mind as strong and determined enough to have done that in two months? I'm not sure. I don't know. But uh, if you ever, uh, do you ever read or listen to jo- Dr. Joe Dispenza? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. He's we, we, Hey, look, we just I'm bought, we're, we're totally screwed. We just bought the Gaia channel. Oh yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible. It's powerful. I mean, he has people go to his workshops that are in wheelchairs or that do have a chronic illness or disease and new walker way free. So, so I am getting, there's a lot of things I do because I'm a little crazy and I like to mess with my mind a lot and just kind of push it. But I've been studying, all we listen to is Tom Ballou's like health impact and, and figure out different ways. But, but what I'm studying is like, we've been reading about how fasting, prolonged fasting affixes type two diabetes. Right. So, so, uh, uh, David Osprey said something very interesting. Your stomach can almost fix itself 
by not putting shit in it. Like let it let it do its thing. But I like I had a guy that fasted the other day. Like I've done three day fasts and stuff. You'd be surprised what your mind tells you you need, but you don't really need it. Like I almost think fasting is more about understanding how the mind operates and understanding that your body can handle all these things. But we've been you don't even want to get me off on a tangent because I have two friends that work high in health insurance and they're trying to, they come up with this system to save people money. He said a stat to me that blows my mind out of the water. And I, it makes me angry. They're the percentage of Americans on two prescriptions opposed to zero is way more because they're, they're having one medicine that's they're selling that's, co-interacting the side effects of the other medicine when ultimately like I've lost 60 pounds in the last two years and went from 32% body fat to 15% body fat, eight pant sizes. Right. But everybody asked me, they said, Austin, give me the program. And I said, guys, you got it all wrong. There's no program. You're the program. You're the program. And if I gave you a program of this, this is my joke right now because I love to mess with people. If I asked you for 60 days to walk, just walk. I'm not saying push-ups, nothing. Walk for 20 minutes. And during that time, you listen to a positive meditation, your life would be better. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to complicate it with what shoes am I wearing? What gym am I going to? It, that's, that's free, guys. Another thing, too, is people don't rest enough. Mm-hmm. And resting is huge. Your body needs that time to rest. When I was in Costa Rica recently, I had three days prior to my retreat to really just like do nothing. I can't believe what happened to me over those three days. Like, <laughs> dude, Dave, Tom, Tom Ballou said, said, he said, you think that you're tapped out or, or, you know, like you've reached your end. He goes, I think you just need some rest. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and you, you hit something on it before, like, um, talking about like workaholism and defining yourself. Like I used to be so caught up in defining myself in my work that if my business failed, if my job failed, if I didn't have a good night at work, then I was also a failure Mm -hmm. too. Right. So like having that workaholism in the mind, it's just, well, what's interesting is I had to break something in myself. Uh, I classified myself as a, as a front runner. So in the restaurant business, if everything's going good or I'm getting tips and everything's going great, like I'm in a great mood. And the moment that I have a bad table or something, like I go into like the tank. Right. And so I remember that person. <laughs> there's a lot of people that remember that person, but here's a funny, <laughs> here's a funny story. And I didn't know COVID was going to hit. I had no idea, but I have a word. I have a theme for the year. And my theme for this past year was emotional stability. Like mm. no high, like, yes, I'm, I'm very excitable, but like understand that you have to balance the yin and the yang of like, no matter what happens, you have to keep your emotions about you. Because I believe that as a society, we make way too many decisions based on emotion, which are false information instead of making decisions from a place of strength. Well, sometimes that emotional decision is coming from your ego, not your intuitive self. So I find that if I'll ask myself like, okay, where are you at? Where is this emotion coming up from right now? Because if like, say it's incredibly emotionally driven, 
and I'm starting to spiral out and spin out, it's probably driven by my ego and not something that's intuitively putting me in that state. And then you can separate it and say, okay, well, how am I going to work with this right now? What is this emotion bringing up for me right now? What's really underlying here? Well, then my question to you is you work with women, you work with other people. What are they doing to when that emotion comes up typically? A lot of times I find that when women are starting to spiral out of control, you will go to something that will lower that threat. And that's mostly food. Mm -hmm. Food is a great way for your central nervous system. Like when your threat bucket starts getting too big, too much, too overwhelmed, food is typically the first thing that people will go to when we'll go to. No. And it's, it's really shut down. It's a shut down response. No, you're a hundred percent right. And it's funny, right? I coach people from Canada around, they do different businesses, different ages, right? And in your coaching, do you find that there's a common thread that runs through most people? I, I find it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who they are. There's a common thread. And what, what do you think those threads are? Um, workaholism, the identifying of yourself through your work is huge because we're always overdoing instead of being particularly women. You know, we are the beers, right? Men are so linear and logical and you have to follow all these steps. Whereas women tend to be more in a flow. And for women, a lot of times it's not just like do your job, do your family, be pretty, be calm, be thin, have your default body. So there's a chronic level, there's a chronic low level stress that exists in the dailiness of women, And so a lot of times for me, it's about getting those women to slow down, tap into themselves and give themselves some rest time because there's a lot of guilt, isn't there in self? um, Oh, what is it? It's very big right now. What am I trying to say? The wellness industry, self-care. Self-care, right? Self-care is like a huge word right now. And it's almost toxic sometimes. And it can become stressful in itself. Like, I'm going to go and do and be all these things. And then you're like, oh, well, let me drink this green thing and have a bath and do a meditation. But it's getting back into that spiritual practice. I find too, that's like the number one thing. We are so distanced from source. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm whatever that means for you, whether that's God, divine creation, divine intelligence. We we disconnected what we deem necessary a good life is. Yes. It's been so bastardized and manipulated by social media or whatever that we don't even truly know what those things are. And we're so far removed from operating from a place of completeness in who we are, that we do rational things. And then we get halfway, as I describe it, halfway down the the hall, the lights are turned off, the doors are shut, and we don't know where the fuck we are. What am I doing in here? What am I doing in this room? Who am I, who have I become as a father, as a husband? Who am I at work that I don't want to be? And, and like, what drives me crazy, right, is nobody can be themselves anymore. You, you, you can't be angry. 
you can't be too happy because if you're too happy and if you have any success, then that's happened in one day, you know? And like, I'm like, no, my relationships, the, the, like, look, I rarely talk about this. I'm a hundred percent comfortable talking about this with you. The amount of fucking layers of fake versions of myself that I had to crawl in and out of. I want to ask you a simple question as somebody that's known me for a long time. I hear that. This person that's talking to you now, do you even know who the fuck he is? No, no. This is a totally new version of Austin. I mean, I just love it. I love it so much. I, I, I love us so much right now in this container. Like, <laughs> You know what's <laughs> interesting about me? People that know me for a long time, people that have known me for a long time. Yes, great, dude. You lost 60 pounds, but you know what they say to me? We can see it on your face. Well, a, your, your whole energy is so much lighter, so much more loving and way more expansive. I mm -hmm. mean, you, you can feel it. And, and so what people don't understand is there was a, not systematic, but there was a methodical approach to what I needed in the time. And, and a lot of that was, in the desert or in California on the coast by myself and being okay with being okay. <laughs> and like not feeling like I had to do something. And, and my coach said it perfectly to me because I was like beating myself up when I got back to Texas the first time. And he's like, I was like, man, I spent some money. And he's like, okay, ho hold on. He's like, let me ask a question. For the first time in your life, you decided to put yourself first and you visited your friends and went to amazing places and you took three months out of your life. He's like, when the world was closed. So like you didn't miss anything. And that's when I started realizing like what I did for myself will serve me. But here's the kicker because I went through that. It'll serve so many more people because I can teach them and help them. A hundred percent. And the fact that you're sitting with heavy emotions, you know, like you were saying over your parents' divorce where you just sit there and cry. I mean, You've got to purge those emotions because your body is holding on to all of those stressors, all of those thoughts, everything that happens in your life is also in your body and you've got to move that out. Mm -hmm. and, and how would you suggest somebody does that? What are the tactics, the tactical things that you give to your clients? Well, I really do believe that your body holds on to ancient wisdoms and your body's also keeping the score of your life. And a lot of times you can sit quietly, take a few deep breaths and ask your body, you know, sometimes you'll say, Oh, what do I feel? Okay. Well, tightness in my chest. What do you need from me? You know, pain in my low back. What do you need from me? What can I do for you? And your mm -hmm. body will answer you. Mm -hmm. Your body will answer you. I do a lot of just sitting with myself. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is something that affected me. <laughs> I don't, once again, I don't think I've ever shared this, but I'm in Arizona and we were going for a ride in the morning. And one of my friends um, is, you know, met a lot of people and traveled a bunch and I had a massive headache. And I was like, hey, I need, do you have any Advil? And she was like, oh, you don't need that. Like, just sit with me. And so we sat down and did a four minute meditation and we talked to the headache and the pain and we said, okay, you can stay or you can't. And, and I said, you can leave us now. And within 10 minutes it was gone. And we went and rode like 30 miles. And I thought to myself, like, Oh, oh holy crap. So the mind is literally capable of anything. 
But here's the kicker. And I've never shared this with anybody, but it's something I believe in because I hate to be sick. I, I hate it. Like I hate to be sick. So like two and a half years ago, I told myself I wasn't going to be sick anymore. And I haven't been sick. Huh. Now, now do I, I take care? Now, do I take care of myself and work out and eat right? Of course. But whenever I feel it coming on, I just try to get really happy or like listen to music. And like, I try to beat it with like a smile and sunshine. I know that it sounds like woo woo, but it's like, ultimately, like, I think that if you like, here's what I used to do. Anything gone, anything goes bad. Oh, here we go again. Like that's, and that's just that dumping of just like negative energy. And I feel like if you're around positive people and you like this, you'll love this. You'll love this. I was living in Scottsdale and Corona virus had just hit and I ran into somebody in Sedona. And this is now granted, she is her own person. I said, are you worried about COVID in Sedona? She goes, yeah, right. She goes, we meditate, the whole town meditates. We do <laughs> ayahuasca and all this shit. She goes, there's no chance that virus could last one fucking minute in Sedona. And they were they didn't even give a shit. <laughs> I was just like, they're just operating at such a high conscious state in the whole town. They're just like, no, no, no we're good. Like push it out, push the bad energy out. Right. And so, you know, when you, um, what I want to talk about that we haven't talked about, which I'm so proud of you with your podcast, but talk about how scary starting a podcast or like, how long did you think about the podcast? I thought about it for a while. What used to scare me is visibility, being visible in front of people, like the judgment, will they like me? Am I good enough? Is there enough room for me and space for me on this platform? What if I fail? How am I going to make money? And then also, like I mean, like I'm saying, really the, the actual visibility, like me being here with you on camera, putting myself out there and then having to overcome, what do I look like? Is Am I pretty enough to be? Am I safe? You know, because I am a sex trafficking survivor, mm -hmm. which I never have talked about. Mm -hmm. And so, but that stops me from wanting to be visible in front of anybody, like walking around my neighborhood, I used to get scared, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm in a construction site right now. So it's like, everything would really make me scared. So the idea of starting a podcast was so overwhelming. But there's a few things I do know about myself. I'm a communicator. I'm a connector. I'm an explorer. And I love to learn. I love to learn from people. I love to talk to people. So once I started working on those deeply rooted beliefs that I was just listing out and like reformatting, rewiring my thoughts, and I just sort of jumped into the visibility. I started writing like essays about what it was like for me to be sick and really being very honest. There was so much liberation in those posts at that time. And then when I started really getting into like overcoming my visibility and rewiring those beliefs, it was like, boom, podcast. And I think it's doing great. Actually, I've started putting all my energy there. Like I wake up in the morning and in my prayers, I'm just like, and I'll be walking around the house too. And I'm, I'll just be talking to my dog. I've, you know, Grace, 
And I'll be like, oh, I love working from home. I love having a podcast. I love this and that. And talking about all the elements and I pray on it. I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. I just love having a podcast. This is my favorite thing. And it's almost like I prayed my job away. Like pre-corona, I wasn't podcasting. I had a very successful lash business. And then when everything got lifted, my clients were gone. Yeah. I literally just like prayed. I put all my energy into something and that's what's working. I just stopped. The rest of my life started to just fall off. One of the, one of the things in this book he talks about, he says, just try it. He says every morning he gets up and he talks to himself in the mirror in third person. he's like, Hey, what's going (laughs) on today? We're going to have a kick-ass day today. And like my thing in one of my podcast things is like, the definition of what a good life looks like adults have squeezed the shit out of that and have no fun anymore. Nobody has fun anymore. They're too worried about some real estate deal or some this, that, and the other, what their kid didn't do, what their kid's not doing. And my question to you is when the fuck are you going to start living? Like when are you going to start L I V I N? When are you going to fucking live? Mm -hmm. Because there's been a, there's been enough people, right? lost a friend a couple months ago. There's been enough people that didn't get out of where I got out of. And I sure hell is not going to take a day for granted. And so the median of a podcast of a, which we started, I just started blogging. This is my second week. Um, And I'll tell you a, a secret off there, how to get your stuff out there. But, but ultimately there, there, I deal with it every day. The imposter syndrome, like, like I see my stuff on iTunes and I'm like, ugh, like, oh, like it's there. But then I get a message, right? And um, my buddy said to me, it's a good friend of mine too. I've known him for about the same time. He's not been on a bunch of podcasts and he sent me a message and it, it really like has stuck with me since he wrote it. He says, no, I'm listening to that podcast and I'm thinking if my, my three-year-old son if something were to happen to me, he would have a documented piece of content that would tell him about my life mm. and who I am. And I was like, holy shit. Like you're seeing it as a conversation. Another story. Um, these young real estate guys, I let them, we asked us questions, we answered and I released it and didn't tell him I was going to release it. And he texted me and he was like, my grandma down in Mexico thinks I'm famous because I was on a podcast and she's like, and I'm just like, that's when you realize like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't matter because it matters to them. Right. And I think sometimes we, 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 we worry about too much what we're going to get out of it instead of turning it around and pushing it on them. Yeah. I really feel like this is my greatest, like that platform, the platform of podcasting is the greatest way for me to serve my purpose. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. in the greatest service when I'm, when I'm podcasting, when I'm and having, has it, has it opened up your world to a lot? Like, I mean, guest wise and just people in general that you maybe wouldn't have been spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I just love mm-hmm. it. I love connecting and communicating. And I really dream of illuminated being a community mm-hmm. where we're having virtual retreats where one day we're meeting, you know, live. I'm, I'm always surrounded now by these incredible women who are experts in their fields. And I want us to be together. I want us to heal because like you're saying, reaching that one person, that's a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. 
that impact serves more. It serves a greatest, highest good. Yeah. And do you have a Facebook community yet or no? Yeah. My Facebook community is actually the, I don't want to say the best, but yeah, my Facebook community is the best. Yeah. I've got some people I got to introduce you to uh, in the, in the space that would love. And I think there's a collaboration there um, because ultimately, you know, that's what this is about is just empowering people to live better versions of themselves. And ultimately that's what we're, we're doing. Right. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up and you talk about it as much as you want, but I'm interested to hear, um, cause I don't, it's my podcast. I can talk about what the fuck I want. Uh, and I like controversial. I would like to hear whatever you want to speak about the, the, the sex trafficking aspects of, you know, where that is. I know it's been in the news lately, you know, and, and kind of that whole ordeal. Yeah. I had really suppressed that and kept that to myself for really a long time. Um, that took a lot of healing. That was Turkey 2009. Okay. So prior to moving here, prior to meeting y'all, um, I was traveling through Turkey. I'd taken a job and I'll just make this, uh, a short version of this. Um, And I thought I had made a friend in Turkey. I'd been living there for about six weeks and uh, it was someone who owned an IT shop and spoke English. So on my way to and from the beach, I would stop in there every once in a while. I mean, when you are traveling in a foreign land and don't understand the language, um, when you can find someone who speaks your language, it's, it's great. Like he was my age. So it was easy to talk about, you know, film, music, And one day I went in there, uh, I was looking for a place to stay for the weekend. So I went in there and asked him ironically, uh, if this was safe, could you help me find, you know, (laughs) he delivered. Oh (laughs) yeah. yeah. So, um, he, instead of taking me to the place where we made a reservation, uh, delivered me to a home where I was held hostage. And in that scenario, uh, I was sitting in the, I was sitting in my bedroom and, um, I'm the man who's, I was staying with a girl, with a Russian girl. When, when the guy Karem, whose IT shop it was sold me to go into this house, not sold me, but sold me. Yes. Yep. That's a double thing. Two, two things there. Um, you should stay with my friend. She's 27. She's Russian. She speaks English. You can make a friend. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. I I would love to have a friend, a girlfriend. Um, Well, her boyfriend was also staying there and I didn't have the, the lens right away of what was going on because it looked like I was just in a normal house, like probably what your house looks like or what mine is decorated. Like, you know, pictures on the wall, instruments. It looked like people really lived there. Um, but I was sitting in the room and he came in and his wearing just his tidy whiteies. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I said, I mean, I knew immediately what was about to happen and said to myself, get ready. He's coming for you. And he did. And then there ensued hours of just the most epic battle I've ever been through because I've never been in a fight. I've never punched anyone. I've had never had anyone punch me. And it just became this struggle of this is my own personal experience, but you can't hold my arms down, my legs down, keep me from shutting up and get yourself inside of me. That is just not mm-hmm. going to happen for me. And so a couple of times he gave up and would walk out of the room. 
through the night, through all of this, you know, hours, at some point I realized there was a pair of scissors underneath of the dining room, um, not dining room table where you would eat, but like the living room table. So I grabbed them and I put them underneath of my bra strap and they're like four inch scissors. They're just like, not as small as like you would, um, sew with. And so at one point I was being pretty adamant about wanting to leave the house and he was meeting me with choking me out. And as soon as he would release me, I would get right back up. And about the fourth time I'd taken the scissors out and I was holding them so that the blade was going up my forearm, but my arm was by my body. And I just told myself, I mean, it's you or him. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm you have got to get out of here. Like you, you know, I learned from Oprah and John Walsh, like you never go to the second location. And at this point in time, I kind of know where I am because it was daylight when we drove from the IT shop and I'm probably Mm -hmm. only about 10 or 15 minutes walk from my apartment. When he turned around and he put his arm on my throat that time, I just lifted those scissors up and I stabbed him twice, stabbed him in the throat and I stabbed him in the face And uh, spoiler alert for anybody out there who needs to defend themselves by stabbing or slicing someone, slice their throat. This is a puncture wound. Like, this is just going to bleed out a lot and piss somebody off. And that's exactly what happened. I am so thankful to even be here having this conversation with you. So he gets super pissed at this point. There's blood everywhere. And the, the Russian girl is just cleaning the blood up. I mean, I called for her doing some of this stuff. Then I realized at some point they're in cahoots. Um, He ends up calling the man. Well, I'll get there at some point. So he he's pissed. He goes to the kitchen. He he grabs a nine inch carving knife and he's wielding it over me like psycho. In that moment is where really my faith comes from because it was like a wall of divine intervention. I mean, there in that moment, like, you're going to die. You tried, you, you tried, and this is, this did not work. And now you're going to die in Turkey. And then boom, this force came in between us and said to me, no, this is, this is not your time. You're not going to die. And then he called the guy who dropped me off there and he picked me up and there's no American embassy in, uh, in Antalya where I was, but there is a British consulate. So, and I knew the mayor of the town I was living in. So I called his daughter. She spoke English. I got in a cab, went to their house. Um, and we went to the police. The police took me to a hotel in a neighboring town. At that point, my mom had been in touch with the U S embassy who got in touch with the consulate. The British consulate was an incredible Scottish lady. Her husband and her lived in the town that my hotel was in. So her husband picked me up. And at that point I got intercepted by the chief of police. We went back to that apartment. They'd been waiting for Karim at the IT shop that morning. Cause I drove them there. Um, and we went back to the apartment and then I could see with a different lens because the room that I was in had two twin beds one had the bed, um, the the match, the blanket of a little boy, and one had it of a little girl. There was a room that I did not have access to that was two bunk beds. Mm-hmm. And so there were, and then there was another room that I didn't see that also had a couple of beds in it. So I was definitely in some situation there but I'm glad I didn't get to the second location. I'm thankful to source because that is really, it really opened me up to 
knowing that there was more beyond what we, what we see and what we know, or I guess many people know that I didn't know that, but, um, they caught him almost nine months to the day. And I went and testified and, um, you know, I just have never really told that story or talked about it much. There's a lot of shame that comes with being a victim, even when you have not done anything wrong. You might come across that in your coaching from people well, who have had diseases. Well, first of all, thank you for for sharing. Wow. On so many levels. And I'm not going to touch a lot of that story because I don't even have words to sum up your strength and power and everything I believe and how many people you've helped or, or will help continue to help through the, through your own tribulations. But I can speak on one thing and you're, you're hundred percent, right. What affects people from drug addiction and alcoholism or, or multiple addictions is not the act of said addiction. It's the same. It's the shame associated with the act. And yeah. What I've seen in a lot of my coaching clients is everybody else in their life, their mother, their brother, their spouse, their dad and mom are over it. (laughs) Like you were a drug addict like five years ago. You're a better person now. We get it. The only person that's holding on to it is Mm -hmm. the person that did it. And here's why. Same with you. I don't know everything, but I do know something. When we keep these events or something that's affecting us in the closet and we close the light, it's going to control you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's not until, and so guys, she can tell that story and I can sit here and take it. And I'm and like, everybody's like, how are you just like hanging it? Because I have my own stories and I've heard my own from my coaching clients. There's no judgment from this guy, but until like people joke around when I meet people, the first thing I say is like, Hey, how's it going? A uh, former meth addict, homeless, drug, uh, uh, alcoholic for 20 years, divorced. <laughs> nice to meet you. And they're like, well, fuck. Like, he, he doesn't even give a shit. It's not that I don't give a shit. It's just that that doesn't control or it doesn't label me for who I am. No, and you have you have done enough healing to where that trauma, your traumas are not disassociating you from your body any longer. And trauma has a way of doing that in your brain because like we were talking about earlier, your brain, it wants you to survive. So it's going to set up patterns and pattern recognition to keep you alive. And when you have trauma, that changes your perceptions. It changes the way that you will feel about things, the way that you predict the world around you, the way that you see the world around you, you perceive and are perceived. And so when you can heal yourself and you can bring yourself back into your body, heal those, you know, like getting back into the somatics and healing that part in your body, you can start to release some of that shame, some of the guilt and some of the loneliness and the fear that really all resides with trauma. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, the and this is the kicker. Ultimately, the BS stories that you tell yourself that are false that you believe. It's my favorite thing to ask people. Like, are people actually saying that? Or are you just creating the story that they have said that? Because I, I, if I went to them and asked them, did they actually say that? I would venture to guess it's probably no. 
Yeah. And sometimes it's like, what narratives do you tell yourself that keep you living in that belief? Like, okay, should I like getting back into any sort of parent parental relationships or, you know, can I stay mad at this person? And what does staying mad at serve me for? Mm. Oh, well then maybe I don't have to look at myself. What role do Mm. I play? I can just stay mad, you know, keep you over here. And what's that serving me for? If you, if you hold space to hold a grudge against somebody, it's going to affect you more than you holding in, in like something happened to me in the the summer, something happened to me over the summer and I was walking and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to say, I do not like the way you handled it. And I want to be mad at that part, but for everything else, if you're holding on to anything, I release you of it. And sure enough, text me back five seconds. Thank you so much. It's been weighing on my mind. Well, guess what? Two people are done. We can go on and move our life. And it's so much easier that way. Yeah. And if you are having someone that you need to have a difficult conversation with, or it's happening for me right now, I'm just taking a few minutes every day to sit and visualize that conversation, what that sounds like, and how do I want that to go? Mm, I love it. For that person too. It's, It's healing for everybody. Dude, I didn't know it was my deep day on the podcast because I have my buddy coming up next who's a healer. I just, we're, we're hitting all the vibes right now. But if somebody wants to find out about your podcast or your coaching, or how would they do that? You will find me at, uh, my website is illuminatedwithjenniferwallace.com. That's also the podcast, Illuminated with Jennifer Wallace. That's my email, Illuminated with Jennifer. <laughs> at Gmail. So find me on Facebook. Please connect with me. I love, love, love to talk about trauma and healing. I love being a part of other people's healing journeys too. It's it's a great life. No, it's amazing. And I'm so glad that we got to connect on the podcast and we'll talk offline. And just guys, if you like this episode, make sure you send it to your friends and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Construct Your Life with Austin Lenny. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to start constructing your life by taking immediate action on what you learned. For show notes, resources, and more information on one-on-one coaching with Austin, visit constructyourlifepodcast.com.